When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fishology. I'm always joined here today with Adam and Lewis. We will be talking about in this episode, first baseman. So we'll go back in last season, talk about some first basemen uh, from the Marlins, how they did, and really look into who could be the starting first baseman for the Marlins in 2023. As I mentioned, I'm here with Adam and Lewis. Guys, how are we feeling about this episode? It's definitely going to be interesting. Lots of solid options to look at. I'm definitely looking forward to diving into that conversation today. All right. And starting off, um, to lead off, let's go back last season and talk about the only first baseman who played more than 50 games for the Marlins who is still on the team, and that is all-star Garrett Cooper. Uh, Garrett Cooper had an all-star season. It had a really great June, um, posting one of the, the largest OPSs for the Marlins during that month, um, finished off a little slow. Was um, switched in between first base and DH with Jesus Aguilar, but then shared time with Lewin Diaz when he was brought up. Adam, uh, let me get your thoughts first on Garrett Cooper and what you saw of him during his time as first baseman for the Marlins. Right. So, um, <clears throat> so this earlier this year, he was performing pretty well up until the all-star break where he kind of tapered off a bit. And if I remember correctly, he kind of came back on towards the end of the season. Two on, nobody out. And now Garrett Cooper down the line. And it's going to one-hop the wall. Birdie's around third. He's going to score. Anderson being held at third base. Another double for Garrett Cooper. And this game is tied at one. Uh, Garrett Cooper is just kind of that guy who the Marlins were able to get from the Yankees a few years ago, <clears throat> and he's actually just kind of turned into a very good player, a very solid plug-and-play option at first base. He's obviously nothing super special. He was more just the Marlins or, uh, option, or actually, no, not really that. He was at the, up to the all-star point. He was playing pretty well because they did have other all-star options, but I do like Garrett Cooper in the sense that he's just he provides – some fringe value and he could be traded at some point for something that could be, you know, could be like a Jordan Groshans type of prospect that is not insignificant. So he does provide a lot of value and especially, you know, I, I do believe some teams could see something in Garrett Cooper, which is why I do like him. But regardless as a player, I think he's a very solid first baseman. And I think obviously, unless he's not moved, it's his job to lose at first base if he's not already DHing. So that's that's my opinion on him. Yeah, I mean, 
I've kind of just said he's like an above average big leaguer as far as hitting goes. I mean, I'll, like metrics, look at it, whether you use uh, WRC plus or OPS plus, he's going to consistently be, you know, 14 to about 20% above league average. I mean, he's like, he's only two years removed from uh, an abbreviated 2021 where he had a 128 OPS plus. I mean, so like the bats there, I think defensively, you know, what you see is what you get. He's not exactly, you know, out peak Albert Pujols at first base. He's kind of just like serviceable. But I mean, at a position where there's not, I wouldn't say there's not much demand, but uh, where I guess there's less expect expectations as far as what you provide defensively. I think Cooper, you could do a lot worse than him. There's a lot worse defensive first baseman. But again, that isn't to say he's necessarily excellent there. Yeah, and for the Marlins in first base, um, it was really a revolving door between three guys. Um, the Marlins did not have one player play 60 games at first base, the highest, as I mentioned, Garrett Cooper with 59, Aggie 57, Lane wins 56, and then Miguel Rojas rounded it up with 10. Um, really quickly, let me get your thoughts. Um, none of these guys are still on the roster, but just they played over 50 games with the Marlins first base. Um Lewis, your thoughts really quick on Aguilar and Lewin Diaz when their time in Miami as first baseman. Yeah, I mean, you know the old analytic adage where you kind of, if you miss out on one player who provides an enormous amount of value, the analytic idea is to supplement that value or I guess the individual skill sets that make up a player's value, uh, that great player's value through multiple other players. I guess what's, that's what the Marlins kind of had with their first base platoon when Lewin was in the big leagues. You know, Diaz provided the defense, Aguiar provided power, and Cooper provided power, but he also provided more of the on-base skills. You see right there on our screen, he's got a career 9% walk rate, which is slightly above the league average, but he has shown ability to walk more in the past. I mean, he's a 12% walk rate in 2021. Um, better knowledge of the strike zone than, I guess, the former two. Uh, but, yeah, like, like what that – with that being said, I guess, like, what you got overall with them wasn't necessarily enough, especially when you consider that the team as a whole wasn't great when it came to scoring runs. Um, yeah, there, there was definitely a lot to be desired. But that's also because, you know, you ran a platoon out there the entire season. You know, Aguiar and Cooper were pretty much switching off most of the time. They have shown they can be productive big leaguers. Yeah. I think realistically, if you want to build a sustainable winner, and unfortunately, I don't think 2023 is going to provide much insight into who's going to be a part of that as at that position goes. Those guys aren't necessarily guys you want there. I think they're complementary pieces, maybe as bench bats. I think that's where their best service and maybe Cooper starts on a bad team. I guess here he would, but they're holding guys back. And I think that's why maybe you're, um, you're, you're continuing to see the struggles at that position. Yeah. Adam, same question. Uh, with Aggie and Lewin. Lewin, who just was um, waived by the Pirates, is now in limbo. Maybe the Marlins can bring him back. Aggie, free agency. Um, probably both guys most likely not coming back to the Marlins. Yeah, so it was kind of interesting to see uh, both of them kind of take the field last year. And obviously we saw some production from Aguilar in the past as a Marlin, but it was definitely very difficult to see either one of them perform offensively this year. Uh, Lewin... Uh, his struggles obviously come at the plate. He's a fantastic defensive first baseman, and I believe he could be, if he was to play a full season, obviously if contact permitting, he would be def like sabermetrically probably the best 
defensive first baseman in all of baseball. That is down the line, and Lewin makes another slick play. That would have been extra bases and a run. Lewin Diaz. It's just unfortunate to see that his contact never really came around. He's had a lot of discipline and approach issues at the plate. Um, something that's really unfortunate to see, especially with him being a, spending a lot of time in AAA um, and also really spending uh, some time in Miami. But I just don't believe that Lewin could be the answer anymore. I think we've gotten his opportunities. And also with Aguilar, I mean, like it's also kind of the same thing. It's just that he's a right-handed platoon. But ideally, you want to try to find a full-time option. And Aguilar just really wasn't cutting it all year long. He had some success with Milwaukee, was an all-star. And then also, I believe in Tampa Bay, he just wasn't hitting super well. And then he found his way here to Miami, had some caught some fire last year, and I believe in 2020. But this year was a struggle, and they ultimately decided to let him go. Um, and it's really this kind of the same issue. There isn't a lot to there isn't a lot to work with in terms of his contact rate. And it, for me, I think Cooper is probably the best option going into next year. But I guess since we're talking about the Lewin Aguilar platoon that occurred earlier this year, I would say that it's best that they try to find a full time option, or since they are rebuilding, to continue to um add to that revolving door of options with potential guys that they think could be a full-time someday after Garrett Cooper leaves, whether it's in free agency or a trade. Adam said Cooper is the most viable option. We haven't really talked about LeBlanc possibly playing first base, especially when you consider his profile as a hitter to a very less, much lesser extent is kind of like Jazz Chisholm in that it's power, it's not a lot of walks or at least it's decent power with not a lot of walks. I think Chisholm has more power than LeBlanc. Um, but you also have two guys who have very weak arms uh, on the defensive spectrum. I think maybe you could hide LeBlanc's bad throwing arm, or I guess not bad, but below average by stat cast metrics. He's, I believe, in the sub-20th percentile in uh, arm strength, which, again, he's a primary third baseman, so maybe you hide a guy who can't throw as well at first base while Jazz can play second base. This one is in the air to left field, and LeBlanc goes deep. Home run for Charles LeBlanc. But, um, yeah, I mean, you'd hope that they would kind of – and I'm sure they did. I'm sure they were in on Abreu. I know Craig Mish reported that the Marlins did have discussions with his team. Um, there are no reports at this time as to what their offer was to with him. But – you know, if you're entering 2023, it doesn't – it wouldn't belittle me to think that, like, the Marlins could literally go into 2023 with the same problem they had in 2022 where because LeBlanc was slightly encouraging or he was encouraging in 22, they could enter with another platoon of LeBlanc and Cooper. And, again, like, you're just kind of you're not doing yourself much in the way of favors when it comes to getting total production because you're splitting at bats. Although, you know, maybe a full season from the two of those guys could equal one really great season from another player. But it's, I mean, it's, you know, again, those guys are on the roster last year and we can expect guys like Jacob DeGrom to be back with the Mets likely. So you have to also take into context of like the division and like moves that teams could make. So, you know, how much harder it could be to score runs and, you know, 
the competition that the Marlins will have to face, though, I, I, obviously the new schedule may offset that a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if they were to enter with another platoon of LeBlanc and Cooper and also factoring in that Cooper isn't even, like, oh, the most durable player in the world, then you could be in for another world of trouble. I mean, just look at that collective 665 team OPS. I wanted yeah. to give you guys a couple of hitters with 400 plate appearances in 2022 who kind of fit the criterion of that production. You're talking about guys like J.P. Crawford, Whit Merrifield, Caber Ruiz, Remel Tapia, Javier Baez, Michael A. Taylor, Max Kepler, our own John Birdie, former Jesus Aguiar, Gary Sanchez. These are all guys that OPS between 659 and 675. So right in that production of where the Marlins were. Uh, it's probably going to be Garrett Cooper. Uh, if it's not, then it's probably like you mentioned. They might try some sort of interesting platoon option. Um, to try to like pair him up with somebody else or try somebody else with him with another player altogether. Uh, but long term, you know, you would hope to probably try to fill that position with someone who would probably try to bring more production, especially from a premium position where you would hope you would get that. Uh, you know, like just long term, you think of some of the teams that have first baseman. It's obviously it, it depends on which team they have, and it's not super important. And hopefully, you could fill that value elsewhere with better players, but. Ideally, ideally, you would try to do the best you can at each position, and I think you can definitely do better than Garrett Cooper long-term. But 2023, starting next year, I definitely do believe that he's probably the team's best option unless they try to do something interesting in free agency. So look for him to hold on to three spot next year. Yeah, and I think now is a good time to talk about options potentially for 2023. You mentioned Cooper, LeBlanc. Um, all of the guys, I think everyone listening wants to hear us talk about free agents and some guys the Marlins can get. Um, you know, here, let me give you a list. Some guys that are available on free agency for first baseman. Um, you have Josh Bell. You have Trey Mancini, who's having him as a background here on StreamYard. You have Yuli Gurriel, 40-year-old. Um, you have Brandon Belt, who I know Kevin is a big fan of. Kevin wants Brandon Belt on the team. And then you have guys like Brandon Drury. Uh, maybe someone like Donna Bono, um, some maybe even Frank Schwindel. But you know, uh, uh, that list uh, is there even anyone to, to talk about? Uh, I think first, maybe uh, Lewis, let's go a little bit and talk about Josh Bell. Uh, probably the, the biggest name on that list besides Jose Abreu was traded in the gigantic trade with Juan Soto uh, to the Padres. Uh, is now a free agent. Is he someone that the Marlins can get on potentially two, three-year deal, or is he going to be looking for more money, more years elsewhere? I think some team will pony up. I mean, if a front office is smart, they won't commit four years to a guy who has a reputation of being a very poor defender at a position that, I get, that I've said before doesn't require all that much attention defensively. Um, Bell, though, in D.C. was excellent for the two years there. He was about 20% above the league average. You know, decent play discipline. His strikeouts went down last year. The power kind of came back a little bit. But then you see he goes to San Diego. And if you want to end, if you need any semblance of an indicator and do with this information what you will of what he may look like in another pitcher's park. Look what he did in San Diego. Yes, he was still an above-average hitter. He had a 108 OPS plus. But if the Marlins are a team that doesn't like to spend a lot of money, if you put him in another pitcher's park and you're going to commit, say, $50, $60 million, because I think that's realistically what he may be looking for, 
I am not all that confident that he'll do that much better than that, given the fact that he's going to be playing half of his games in a very pitcher-friendly ballpark that uh, Lone Depot is. I don't have all the confidence in the world in that. That said, I don't think he's a bad player. I mean, I think he's a very good player. I mean, of the first baseman that you listed, he had the best season by adjusted OPS. He had a 784 OPS. I mean, I like Belt more just because I know what I'm getting when he is healthy, and I've seen him be a productive player in a pitcher's park, though I do believe that San Francisco zapped a little bit of his power. But, I mean, like I said, Bell's a fine player. I just don't think for the money that he may be looking for that he's worth the investment. Yeah, so, I mean, for if you're trying to get – what was the AAV value you said, Daniel again or Lewis? Remind me again. Well, I, I've seen projections out there that he's going to get a deal in the range of, say, like a four for 64. So I guess that was similar to like what Josh Reddick got from the Astros. So 2017. Yeah. So 16 a year. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, I mean, that's, that's a pretty interesting amount for Josh, but I probably wouldn't want to, you know, put up that amount for a first baseman. I feel like I could probably swivel or maneuver somebody around, put him at first base. And I would rather use that 16 million to try to find myself, um, you know, probably somewhere up the middle, address center field, try to go after Brandon Nimmo or maybe a shortstop. Uh, maybe obviously not one of the big four, but, you know, maybe a, you know, a middle option or maybe even a catcher, you know, and maybe, you know, the bullpen or the bolster the rotation even more. There's just a myriad of places you can go. And I just think addressing first base with a guy like Josh Bell, like you mentioned, Lewis, a guy who's not proven defensively. And it's just, you know, there's just better ways, I believe, to spend $16 million if you have it, especially with a team that's as cash-strapped, quote-unquote, as Miami is, then I truly believe you should be allocating those funds elsewhere. And I think you could be going towards, you know, much better, not much, yeah, much better or much more um, war-friendly players who are going to accrue more value. I think that's something where you could definitely direct your your money towards in a, in a better direction. Yeah, well, here's an interesting thing. So I don't know if you guys heard, but I believe Disney just reached a deal with Major League Baseball to buy um, some semblance of like video equipment. I don't know what it entails. It was a $900 million deal. So each team has an additional $30 million to spend. Really? How the Marlins would go about spending that money remains to be seen. I think yeah. maybe for what Bell would give you, I mean, it would maybe offset a little bit of that contract if you were to give him 50, 60 million. But, you know, that is to say that the Marlins have more money to play with. Again, like you said, I would rather them invest it elsewhere. You talk about a guy, I and, you know, say like you talk about, if you're going to not get offense and say center field, and I know this is a first base centric episode, then you're going to want to get premier defense, right? So maybe talk about getting a guy like Kiermaier, who while he's never really hit, has always been a terrific defender, and even this year, or even a guy like Michael A. Taylor, who's, you know, become an excellent glove for the Royals, then you can do that. Although the Marlins have, you know, in Trevor Rogers and Sandy, you have like round ball pitchers. So I don't know how much that will influence their thinking, but I think you need to take a holistic approach when you're thinking about that. Um, a guy that wouldn't make any sense to me is Guriel. So when I was talking to Danny before the show and he kind of asked me about some notes that I had ahead of this. I gave him like a first base hierarchy and Gurriel, yeah. while in the past has proven to be a very good glove. I believe he's won one or two gold gloves at first base. You also have to factor in the age 
And then yep. the fact that he's coming off an, a 647 OPS season in Houston, a team that, again, very analytically smart. So I, maybe I'm just ignorance is bliss and me where I think that they're so smart. They tend to try to get the, they get the most of everything. And I think that fact that he just didn't perform offensively is an indicator that he's really just declining. And that decline is now two years. So it's kind of substantive. Um, Mancini may be the most affordable, I think, yeah. of the prior mentioned guys, given um, you're going to get power. I think that's what you're going to get with Trey Mancini. But then again, you're also going to get nothing in the way of defense. So you're essentially just going to be getting a glorified DH playing a position because we know that Jorge Soler will primarily serve as a DH in 2023. The Marlins likely would wish to give their young outfielders more playing time out there. And we know Soler isn't historically the best defender, though he did look okay in the uh, time he spent out in left field at points in 22. However, I think Mancini would maybe be the most affordable. I don't think you would have to go more than two years with him. And he has legit power wherever you play him, though he did struggle when he went to Houston a little bit. Um, yeah, um, I think – you know, he wouldn't be the worst option. When I made my hierarchy, Danny, I did put Drury kind of next to Bell because Drury oh, wouldn't merely be a first baseman. Um, we've yeah, seen he, has the, he has the ability to move around. You know, he could play shortstop. He could play – or he could play third base. He could play second base. He could play the outfield. And, you know, the last two years, he's just been an incredibly productive player. And I think he's made himself, you know, very – He's made himself a lot of money going into the offseason. Yeah. But that being said, I don't think he's going to approach uh, Brayu money, and I don't think he'll be more than a two- or three-year commitment. I think the, that's something the Marlins are – at least should be in the market for. Defensive versatility, regardless of how many guys you have that can move around, mm -hmm. is something that you should never – It's almost, to me, it's like pitching. You can never have enough of it because if you can play multiple positions, then you can consistently keep productive people in the lineup whether or not they're doing it on one side of the ball or both sides. But, you know. Let me give you guys a number. I'm uh, sorry to interrupt. I'm really quick. Yeah, you're good. Uh, Go ahead, the, I, I want to I tell you guys that his numbers in Lone Depot Park. Um, overall, he's played 25 games in his career at Lone Depot. Um, 100 at-bats, 113 plate appearances, 240, 301, 400 for a 701 OPS. But his 2022 stats, uh, they, they were not good. Did I think this is what has Lewis a little worrisome about Josh Bell? Um, I want you guys to guess his OPS last season at Lone Depot. Oh God, you may as well just tell me. I'm sure. Yeah, I have no idea either, Danny. All right, his batting average was 171, 200 slugging, 231 OBP for 431 OPS in 2022 at Lone Depot. Ouch. So the way I would look at that. And I think this is just a take, and you know, people can do with this what they want. I I don't know how to feel about like ballpark statistics, or unless you're a guy who has spent a majority of his career there, mm -hmm. or at least has played in that division a lot. Because there's a lot of things that we, or a lot of factors that we maybe don't consider when it comes to a player's numbers in a particular ballpark. Could he have been slumping at the time of that? Could he have? Um, begun a slump or been in the midst of one. I mean, a lot of those numbers don't, they do indicate that, though you really need to go through, you know, previous game logs to kind of get an idea. Maybe that he's been sandy all the times. I'm sorry? 
I mean, maybe he faced Sandy all those times. Yeah, I mean, that isn't going to help either. And maybe that's an indicator that, like, if you can't even hit Alcantara, can you imagine what he's going to do against a Scherzer? Although, again, we have data to show what he can do against a Scherzer. I mean, they faced each other the last year. They faced each other last year. And, you know, again, I don't have those numbers in front of me, but you know, I think there are things, these are things you have to consider. So, I mean, like, ballpark numbers, they mean something. I don't think they mean everything, though especially yeah. when you consider that it's not a true indicator of the player's performance as a whole. Yeah, so it's not a full sample size. I mean, I'm not sure. You said how many PAs was it at um, Lone Depot this year for Bell? Uh, you for said this last year, year was 113, but this year probably. Uh, yeah, his career uh, is 113. Last season at Lone Depot, um, 39 PAs. In 2022? Yeah. Uh, 39 yeah so i mean that's not a huge sample size um yeah. i wouldn't i wouldn't stress too much about it his overall numbers um, look good I, I yeah yeah so, i mean this year and especially yeah he, he also moved to san diego so that cut him of opportunities because he's in the western division mm -hmm. now yeah i mean i'm not too worried about it um i mean if he were to ever play in lone depot full time i'm sure it would probably look more closer to his um you know his career average if not his wrc plus would take care of negating any sort of ballpark factors that would come into it um but i mean like i i like josh bell like he's a good player absolutely yeah. and i remember going back quickly making a note on this bam tech this isn't the first time we've seen bam tech in the news i remember that was a critical part of the marlin sale like five years ago i remember um seeing how much money would be coming in as part of revenue sharing i think from that was critical and seeing okay like will this make sense for for us to buy the team i remember that was um Bam Tech was relevant back, well, back way back when when the Marlins were being bought by the Sherman company or by Sherman and his company. So um, this is like you know seeing what kind of money would be coming in here. Like I mentioned, there's just I believe there are more valuable and more efficient ways, more savvy ways I should put to spend whatever capital comes in from that um, deal. And I believe, like I mentioned, like. You know, like looking at an option up the middle would probably better would be more beneficiary for the Marlins than I think maybe a corner infield. Just since like it's just there's so much the more that could go wrong because if you don't have the bat, you're not really accruing value because first base kind of naturally anchors you. Whether that is if you're playing shortstop or second base or center field or catcher for that matter, anywhere up the middle, really anywhere else besides first base, you're kind of anchor at a certain value that you really can't go anywhere less. I should say DH is the only one below first base, but you're still, you're still buoyed by your position. The fact that it's much harder to play the other ones around the diamonds. So I just think that like, because we have so many holes there because shortstop accrues for so much value and so does center field, they account for, I should say, those are huge gaping holes on our team that I think if we filled could easily propel the Marlins to potentially being an 80 win team, if they were to address them wisely and correctly, you take that couple with the return of Garcia and Soler, who I do, who I firmly believe will bounce back and they're not due to have as poor seasons as they had this year, their first year in Miami. I firmly believe they'll, they're, I mean, they're, they may not play as well as they have been in their past, you know, with Soler having that almost 50 home run season and Garcia, playing really well during the time with the White Sox and the Brewers in 2021. But I do believe that there is something there to potentially be excited about. It's just the way – it's just hard to continue that excitement because who knows what's going to happen in a couple of years where they might just continue to tear the team down if it's not working out super well or even then if it is. But 
it's just I do like Lewin, but just in rent ending my rant, I would say that there's just better ways to spend that, and I think it would be better used like up the middle somewhere. Yeah, I shouldn't have. Um, <laughs> I was to, the last thing I'll say about Josh Bell is I talked about him facing Max Scherzer. Um, in the if you were in our league, would be one thing. I mean, I just pulled up his numbers against Scherzer: sixteen plate appearances, four seventeen, five sixty three, nine seventeen, a fourteen seventy nine OPS. So maybe facing Max Scherzer would be uh, beneficial to him. But again, you know. He'll get paid. I don't necessarily think the Marlins will be the team to do it. No, absolutely. I agree. Um, the next player up I wanted to mention, I want to go down the list a little bit and talk about Mr. Brandon Belt from the San Francisco Giants. Kevin's favorite player of all time. Has has um, He talked about him a bit. Um, he, he battled some injury last season before going season-ending uh, surgery on a right knee. Uh, he's 35 years old. Um, he, his OPS wasn't really the best 213, 326, 350, and about 300 PAs last season. Um, where do you guys see someone like Brandon Belt, who is up there with age but does have a history um, of playing good baseball and really decent for his entire career? Um, how is Brandon Belt even transitioned to the Marlins, and what type of contract would he even be looking for as a 35 year old first baseman? I think realistically you can't expect anything beyond a one-year deal given what you said, Danny, the age, and obviously he's coming off an injury. This isn't like a Michael Conforto thing where he's, you know, he, he'll be at full strength, hopefully, but, you know, he didn't miss an entire year, and in the year in which he did play, he wasn't he wasn't necessarily his usual productive self. And that was off, off of two years where he was – you know, 60% above league average. I mean, like, he had kind of just entered this, like, mid-30s phase of just, like, offensive dominance, at least by his standards and by most standards. Um, you know, I talked earlier about guys like Aguiar and Cooper kind of being, like, I don't know, like, named or players that were blocking others from getting regular playing time, and at least others, I mean, like, younger players. Um, I guess Belt would just be one of those like one year reestablish your value kind of deals. Although I don't know how much reestablish value you're going to reestablish when you're 35 years old. That being said, I've been writing about, and even just discussing the idea of acquiring him for two years now, I think in the midst of San Francisco's 107 win season before I bought into, you know, what they were doing over there in the Bay area about the possible idea of like trading for him and maybe just being a guy that you would have control for in 22 and dealing for prospect capital, because I thought where he was offensively and where I had thought the giants would have wound up at the end of 21 wasn't, you know, a match where he was going to stay there. So I kind of figured that like, if you acquired a guy like that and say the Marlins had struggled in 22, he was a guy that because of the, recent track record and even the track record prior of him just being an above average big leaguer or like say like a more durable Garrett Cooper, then you could have gone out and dealt him and gotten something in return. And I think that's maybe where I am now. I think maybe in the short term, if the Marlins were to sign a guy like this, just say like a one year, say 12 to $15 million deal, because I think that's where he'll likely end up from an AAV perspective. 
Um, if he produces and the team as a whole just doesn't perform to the way that at least fans would expect or want them to perform, then he's still a guy, given his track record and given the fact that he's a rental, he could still merit you something at the de- at the deadline. And I think that's maybe, you know, like what, you know, could realistically happen. And I think maybe that's the expectation that you take in signing a guy like that. Although, you know, like when you're trying to establish a core, he doesn't fit that criterion. So in your Venn diagram of like, where do we see guys? He's not a long-term fix, but he's a temporary guy who could give you like a minor boost. He's maybe like, you know, Narcan if you overdose. He's like the Marlins offensive Narcan for a short term. But that's that's at least where I see him. Again, I love Belt. I think he's an excellent player. Yeah. And I think he, he's aged relatively well. But you know what? I kind of feel bad for the guy. Maybe I'd like to see him go somewhere where he can tap more into the power that he's always been touted for, but has never been able to fully access because he plays in a cavernous ballpark or played in a cavernous ballpark in San Francisco. I mean, it lasts in 2021. He had 29 home runs, which is a career high at 34 or 33 years old. And, and that's the thing that the Marlins also do need to get that first base. Um, would, would also be great. And Adam talking about Brandon Belt, is, is he also someone you could see signing if you have a bounce back year? Maybe that's someone the Marlins are looking for, that can a first baseman for them that can finally hit um, 20 plus home runs. It, it's been a long time since the Marlins have even had that, especially from a first baseman. Yeah, so I really like Brandon Belt in the sense that he's a very, he's one of the most advanced, pure, like from a uh, swing decision and approach uh, perspective. He's one of the most advanced hitters in all of baseball from that perspective, from that regard. Um, and he has been for really his entire career. He's always been someone, I believe, who knows what he's doing at the plate. He never really gets cheated on many at-bats. Uh, the one gripe I do have with Belt is the fact that I, I believe he's had an injury pass and you know he hasn't played a full season, I believe, in a while. And I do think mm-hmm. that, you know, if we can get him for cheap, I believe he's a perfect bounce back option in the same way that maybe someone like a Matt Carpenter was signed by wow. the Yankees and he absolutely destroyed for the time he was there. I'm not saying he's going to be Matt Carpenter, the same production, but it's a similar idea because I think they're both very advanced hitters. I think Belt might be a better one, uh, but Carpenter is obviously a more a better run producer, but it's that same idea where you're just kind of taking a flyer and a guy who was once, you know, one of the best in the league at his position. And, you know, obviously now his career is in the limelight, but maybe he has one more uh, last, he has one last hurrah before he heads and, you know, he rides off into the sunset and why not one of better place to do it in Miami. Right. Um, (laughs) So yeah, exactly. So I think there it's just, it's a good option if we can get him for cheap. Like I mentioned, he's still a first baseman. So if it's too expensive, I would rather spend that money up the middle. But if he is out there and, you know, if it's early next year of spring and he's still in the market, if we can I'll get him for maybe like, you know, eight to $10 million, or maybe it might be a little bit more than that. He might be gone. I wouldn't mind taking a flyer on him because he's a good player. And if it's like a, for one year deal, it really doesn't matter. So you can always trade him too. Yeah. And, the last time he played um, over 100 games was 2019. I believe he played 150, 156 games. So it's been a, li- uh, a little bit since he's played um, almost a full season. And I know you guys mentioned about the parks, the ballparks numbers, but him at Lone Depot has been well. He has been a good hitter at Lone Depot Park. 
Again, very small sample size, 80 plate appearances, but having an 8.68 OPS. And we also mentioned that he is an older player, so old that he also has one game played at Sun Life Stadium. Even before Lone Depot Park, he has one game at Sun Life, hitting two home runs in one game. So maybe he could do that for the Marlins. But I also think, like we said, Adam, they can get him someone eight to ten million dollars for just a year. I think it's good value for someone like Brendan Bell. Again, a veteran, a leader, someone who could come in, also show the younger guys um, what it means to play first base and everything. There, um, we mentioned Brendan Jury. Um, I, I, Lewis, you showed me a list, and there are some names I really wanted to talk about from that. Um, the last one you had there was Miguel Sano. Miguel Sano, uh, talk, power hitting was a player. It will be Miguel Sano. Um, I have to know why you have him on your list. Is that someone you could see the Marlins uh, grabbing it in free agency? Um, again, it was a it was kind of just a hierarchy of names that I felt yeah. like made the most sense. I think when you talk about the pre Thomas Edison Marlins offense, and by <laughs> that I mean the one pre the one with like no power, right? Which I guess uh, their biggest issue. Um, so no would address that if he's healthy. He's coming off a year where he got he played something like 20 games and had like 70 plate appearances and literally had an adjusted OPS plus three because he had an adjusted OPS of 345. You're going to get a lot of strikeouts. The defense is not going to be good, but you have a guy who draws his walks and when he hits him, he hits him. He had like light tower power, but Sano is one of those guys. Um, you, you know, we kind of just saw it yesterday, Shelby Miller, signed a one-year, one-and-a-half-million-dollar deal with the Dodgers, where if you perform early in your career, there's maybe that um, the teams have this in their head. They have this idea of an expiration date that maybe hasn't reached, that it hasn't reached yet, and that maybe you just want to catch, you know, another bit of their production, or at least, like, good production um, before they kind of just, fully dissipate and become, you know, nothing of value from a performative standpoint. So no, I think maybe one of those guys who fits into that category of like, Hey, we may, there may be something left. Um, that's why I had him at the bottom of my list because one, I think he'd maybe be the cheapest. I think he'd even be cheaper than Uriel given that he's just kind of, you know, been beset by injuries and, the inconsistencies, but then again, he's got that one skill set that's oh so attractive in a in a division like the Annalise. I mean, just imagining him hitting home runs in you know somewhere like Philadelphia would be crazy. But um, you know, be it give the Marlins power should he you know give him 130, 140 games. Yeah, no. So a guy like um, Shelby Miller was interesting because the velocity. I looked with Miller because I was like, why is he back in the league? The velocity is still there. Right. I mean, he threw seven innings this year, but like you don't need a million pitches to be able to determine fastball velocity in your max. Right. So the fact that he's still pumping 94 or average on his velocity and his fastball was actually pretty cool to see. Well, he was even that he was getting extension. He was getting very he was in the 98th percentile on extension, I believe. So that, you know, that kind of gives the illusion of a guy throwing harder. We've seen a guy like Kershaw who doesn't even throw all that hard gets. And that, yeah, and that's what I've been trying to say. Like, that's the narrative I've been trying to push that even if I got – and, like, kind of alluding to the Eliezer thing, that's kind of a different thing. But it's just the fact that if the data is there, if you collect a bunch of these guys, 
maybe not one of them, the individual would work out. But if you collect a lot of them, maybe one of them would work out. So if you collected 10 Shelby Millers, um, Eliza Hernandez is eventually maybe one of them you could fix, but the rest unfortunately would not. But it's just the idea that the profile is fixable. Well, so then right off, right idea. off twenty-one or right off twenty-two for Snow in this case, since we're talking about first baseman, mm-hmm. and he plays. Like I said, he played twenty games. I mean, you look at the data, Adam. He was in the ninety-eighth percentile in max exit velo and the ninety-ninth in hard hit rate, but he also strikes out, you know, a lot. So. You know, that in itself, if you really see 2021 as the last full season he played, obviously it is by his standards because he's consistently been injured. That's mm-hmm. maybe the the slightly alluring thing about him. But continue with what you were saying about data, because obviously we have data for Sano to indicate that he yeah, no, absolutely is so incredibly productive. Yeah, no, that was no, absolutely for sure. That was just more of a side tangent, which regardless would fall in line with what you're saying. Absolutely. I, I mean, I would just, I would be cautious, which would be like, hey, like, you know, giving Sano a chance, given the fact that he's probably got some of the best raw power numbers of any player in Major League Baseball and professional baseball, I should say. Um, it's just that you need to be cautious with what, how much money you would be awarding him for that and how much risk you're willing to take based on the fact that he just cannot make contact whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, he is a somewhat of a disciplined hitter, but I just do like when you, when he swings the pat, the bat is just, you see the path, the plane isn't there. Um, the attack angle is just not optimal. It's something where it's going to need a lot of refinement and it hasn't been something where he's really been able to address as a major leaguer. So giving him a shot on a flyer and maybe in a minor league deal where if he makes the majors, you pay him something. I would try to see it. I wouldn't mind, but it's been three years and it's been a full season of production and almost a full stabilization rate of at-bats and plate appearances for his average to really be something poor now. Um, could he turn it around? Maybe. But I feel like Sano is more bound for an international league at this point more than he is another opportunity in the majors if he's, wow. if he's not going to be in a minor league deal. I just – I wouldn't – I personally wouldn't have him – like I, I personally don't have a spot for him on my major league team if I were to be running. Really, someone like, thirty. That's why he is where he is on my list. Like because it's just there's nothing. I mean, you saw he hit the thirty home runs, but he's like a one win player, not even right. Because he provides you nothing defensively. Provi- exactly. Yeah, there's just no there's no multidimensionality, and it's hard to be multidimensional when you're a first baseman, which is why you are a first baseman because you lack the athleticism to play anywhere else that were well, the size when he came up, I mean, like he, he had a power arm at third base, but yeah, he he did, but he's just bigger. Yeah. He's just too big to kind of feel the position. He's a bigger guy. He was very, very good earlier on in his career, but he was always having an issue making contact with the ball. And I just, that's been the vein of his career. It's been an issue for a long time. Yeah. There's another guy I want to talk about, not primarily a first baseman, but someone who has played first base quite a lot um, in his career. I want to talk a little bit about Will Myers. We know he's an outfielder, but half of his um, stats and appearances do come from first base. Um, is that someone also that the Marlins could potentially look at? Someone who has ties here um, to Florida, played with the played with the Rays. Um, is he someone that the Marlins could bring in, try to bring in there as a platoon guy in first base? Maybe in the outfield could play multiple positions that the Marlins like. Is that someone that you could see land with the Marlins? Um, he had a one-win season 
His batting average was, I believe, in the 260s, had a 7 713 OPS. Is that someone that the Marlins really could bring on? You know someone what's like funny? He's kind of like a poor man's um, Donald or Donaldson. He's like a poor man's <laughs> Bell in that regard. If you look okay. back at the last three years, he's OPSing about 800. He's a 122 yeah. OPS plus. And maybe some of that is slightly inflated by the fact that he was great in the 60 game Samp uh 2020 season. So slightly inflated. I think he's maybe more of like a league average to maybe a slightly above league average hitter. Um, but again, like if you go by 21 to 22 standards, that's still far more productive than what the Marlins are getting. Like I told you guys ahead of the show, since 2018, that's really what I would call the commencement of the Jeter Sherman era because that's the first year without Loria and the first year without Samson running the steering the ship the marlins are 27th in production by ops from first baseman 724 so that's like getting ronald that's like getting randall gritchick for 2022 <laughs> randall gritchick for five years at the position so that's a 724 ops or it's getting jerks and profars offense minus all of the walks like that is the kind of play that's kind of the offensive production you're getting yeah. But yeah, if you look at Myers' numbers, again, he's a productive player. You look at the averages, though, and we have them on the screen. I know this is an audio medium. You know, he's averaging 93 games the last three years. But again, take out 2020, and he's been he's been durable. He's been versatile. I remember when he moved to first base around the time he signed that extension with the Potters. I believe it was like six years and 80 million, and he looked pretty serviceable there. Like, yeah. But the power, I don't think necessarily translates. Though so again, he prove that he could hit pretty well in San Diego. So it's not the worst option. And honestly, if the Marlins want to kind of like steer on the side of frugality, which is something they're not that averse to, not the worst option. Although I, I know he's maybe, I've heard he's maybe got some clubhouse issues. Um, there was the controversy back when Andy Green was the manager that he was seen playing Call of Duty and calling out Andy Green and you know, maybe he's, so. Maybe there's just like a, a question with how he deals with leadership, but that was four years ago, so he could, you know, that could be on him at this point. So yeah, but that's actually an interesting name that you brought up. I mean, I, I wasn't even somebody that I thought of because obviously, it's uh, really great. Probably, he, in he 2017 was like the last time he fully time full time played um, first base in 2017, 2016, and if you just go by those two numbers, um, those are primarily times he played first base. Um, his OPS is seven nine four, a one twelve OPS plus. Um, yeah, he, he had some pretty yeah, good numbers, and, and I think that's not a bad option. And if they want, they can always put him in the outfield if if they ever need someone like that. I, I believe Will Myers. He's up there in age, but he's not really that old. He's thirty two. He's not someone like you know. We mentioned Yuli, who's um, thirty nine. Brandon Belt is thirty five, coming off injuries. Will Myers has just really just been platooned um, a lot recently with the San Diego. He played almost 115, 2021, 19, 155, multiple times playing over at least 150 games. And I believe Will Myers is a sneaky option that the Marlins really can look at. Um, and, by, and by DRS, every he's not necessarily graded as a great outfielder, but by DRS, he's actually plus 10 for his career at first base. So oh, okay. maybe you're playing to a strength. Again, I know Adam is not the biggest fan of UZR and DRS, but 
it is at least an ind indicator that he may be better at those positions than he is at uh, roaming outfields, especially at Cavern and his outfield in San Diego. Yeah. Adam, yeah, your thoughts on Will Myers? I'd love to hear what you have to say about Myers. No, and I, I feel like fish stripes in general has been kind of tough on Will Myers. Uh, I've, I'm actually kind of more optimistic in general just because I think he's a really good hitter, and I've always thought – that he's been one of the more underrated players in Major League Baseball during this course in his in, during his time as a major leaguer in the past ten years. Um, we forget this guy was a former Rookie of the Year and a former mm -hmm. All Star, mm -hmm. and he's capable. All Star baseman. Yeah, he's capable of hitting twenty five to thirty home runs when he's really on it. And I think he's very he's a very talented player, and I, he hasn't played a full season. I think he's been injured, um, and he's obviously splitting time platooning with some very very talented infielders. Um, in San Diego, but I still think that if he were to, you know, obviously if he were to leave and find time on a, you know, not as good team to try to eventually be traded onto a contender later on next year and down the road, I do believe that Miami would be a, another pretty good option. And I do believe he would actually provide a lot of value during his time oh. here. And if he were the Marlins were to be contending in 2023, that I do think that he would stay, be staying, uh, staying around for that stretch run and potentially, you know, being part of something special Miami if it were to come to that. But I do like Will Myers, and I do think, you know, like I, for me, out of all the players that we've talked about so far, he's probably my favorite just because he's the most safe. Um, at yeah. least right now, Belt has had a very good career as well. But I think so far, like most recently, I do like what Will Myers brings to the table, and I think that he's probably the best option if we were to spend money on a first baseman. He's a consistent two-win player. And again, yeah. Bell could be that. Bell is a consistent, you know, three-win player. But Myers would be cheaper. Yes, yeah. for caught for dollars per war perspective, as far as getting a bang for your buck goes, if you want to go thrift shopping for a first baseman, <laughs> then you kind of would just do that. So yeah, it makes all the sense in the world. Look at the look at the host come in with the, with these these great <laughs> under the radar names. I love it. Uh, see, I had to. Um, I think with that, um, it's a great time to finish it off. Um, I want to hear both of you guys. Your, um, I'm going to ask you one more question for both of you. Um, who do you think will be the starting first baseman for the Marlins in 2023 on opening day? Adam. Uh, Garrett Cooper. All right. Lewis? Garrett Cooper, if they don't go out and make a move on the uh, yeah. market. But yeah. the winter meetings start next weekend. Again, we'll stay tuned at Fish Stripes because we're going to have a lot of coverage on that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of things. So maybe they do something or maybe they just kind of do what they've always done and they do nothing. So, so fingers crossed it's 2011 winter meetings all over again. I think it'll probably be Garrett Cooper, um, but let's just go Trey Mancini. Why not for the vibes? I have him in the back. Um, and, and we have Eli. Eli Eli predicts they'll get Yuli Gurriel. So La Pina. maybe Eli is right. Eli is most of the time right and – Looks like Yuli will be our 2023 first baseman. Um, for Lewis, self Daniel, um, for Eli in the back working his magic. This is Fishology. Next episode, will we do another position? You have to stay and be tuned. Fish, uh, excuse me, Fishology. As always, go fish. <laughs>